This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayn, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavoy, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavoy. When we discuss the authors and the svarim that they wrote in the world of Torah halachic literature, sometimes the name of the sefer is more known than the actual name of the person. The Chazonish is so well known by the name Chazonish, many people don't even re- remember exactly what his name is or the Chafetz Chaim, the, even the Vilna Gong. But sometimes the name of the Sefer itself evokes a response. We know who that is. Today we are going to discuss someone who I think might be the opposite. The name of the Sefer doesn't evoke such a strong feeling of recognition among people, but when I tell you the name, oh, that person we've heard of. This Shuvos, known as Divrei Yatsiv, were not that well known to me personally, except for the fact that you see them quoted in Svarim, and it was one of the first Svarim that I noticed on the shoot, the project of Shut of Barilan. Who was the author of the Divrei Yatsiv? Ravi Kusiel Yehuda Halberstam. I'm not sure if people would recognize that name either. But once I say that's the Klausenberger Rebbe, that arouses much more recognition. The Klausenberger Rebbe is very famous for his accomplishments in the world and specifically in Eretz Israel. He was born in Galicia in 1980. 1904, and grew up within the Hasidic Shemilia. We already mentioned that he had a Chavrusa. He learned with some of the other Gedolim that we heard of, that we discussed previously in the in Shutim from Galicia, of people from Galicia. And he was already established as a Rebbe, the Klosenberger Rebbe, before the Shoah. In the Shoah itself, he was deported to concentration camps and he lost an entire family, many children, in the Shoah. After the Shoah, after a short stay in Europe, he came to America where he really re-established the concept of Klosenberger Hasidim. But then, he came to Eretz Israel and built the Kirya, the section of Netanya, called as Kiryat Sanz. The Sanz are Klosenberger. What's even perhaps more well-known in Israel, he established an important hospital in that area, Laniado Hospital. A hospital founded by a Hasidish dynasty, by a Hasidish Rebbe. He also was very creative, And he 
dreamt of this idea of Mif'al Hashas, which encourages Avrechim, which encourages young Tamanich Chachamim to learn Bekiyus, to get more general knowledge in Shas. And he was a a world leader, a leader of Klausenberg Hasidim, building up a new, a new Hasidus. Now, my experience has been that not that many Hasidish Rebbes who have been so involved in communal affairs, building a community, building a hospital, running the entire world of Hasidus, not, not many of these people, of the great Rebbes, had time or perhaps inclination to write lengthy Sheilot Shuvot to discuss modern halachic questions, their questions relating to them specifically. Today we have, for example, such a wealth of literature from Lubavitch that the uh, Sichot of the Rebbe, we have all kinds of different Torah that the Rebbe said, but I'm not aware that the Rebbe actually wrote Sheilot Shuvot. And in general, the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked the Sheilot to be addressed to the Polskim. And he referred you to ask the Morei Hora. The Klausenberger Rebbe was, in my, to my mind at least, really rather unique in this area, that he wrote many tshuvas. In fact, we have seven volumes of tshuvas with approximately 100, and, between 150 and 200 tshuvas in every volume. So we have quite uh, an amount of tshuvas written by the Klosenberger Rebbe, by the Rav Halberstam. And the last volume has in it a comprehensive index to help us find our way. As I said, this, uh, these tshuvas, the Devar Yatsiv, are found in the project of Sheilot Tshuvot, of Barilan. Many of the questions that he discussed relate specifically to Hasidic customs, but there are Shailas that refer to the modern world as well. I'd like to show today some examples of both. We'll deal today only with the first volume of Devrei Yatsiv, the first printed in Tavshin Nun Vav. One of the questions that was asked was about putting on tefillin on Cholamoy. But in a sense, there was a double question asked here. In 1972, someone asked the Rebbe if his son would become Bar Mitzvah on the first day of Pesach, when should he start putting on tefillin? So, in a sense, there's a double question here. One is, do you put on tefillin before your Bar Mitzvah? And secondly, do you put on tefillin on Cholamoy? Now, the custom, I think, in general, of the Ashkenazi Jews is to put on tefillin approximately a month before your Bar Mitzvah. The Klausenberger writes that the Minig Arminig, the Sanzer, I keep calling him the Klausenberger, but he's known as, as the Sanzer. In the Sefer it says, Rav Yekutiel Yudah Alberstam, the Av Bezdin of Sanz. But he said in this tshuva that the the custom of our custom, the Hasidish custom, is not to put on tefillin at all before Yerba Mitzvah, in accordance with an opinion cited in the Ramah. 
Now, the Gemara in Sukkah mentions that a katan is chayiv mitzvahs or his father is mechuyiv to see to it that the child does mitzvahs. That is a question between the Ran and the Ramban, Rashi and Tosfus, whether the chayiv of chinuch is on the father to see to it that his son does it, or it's on the, on the child itself, on the child is chayiv. But that's not our discussion today. But the Gemara there in Sukkah has a Raisa that mentions different laws at what time is a person, a child, either he or a father, chayiv in chinuch. And for example, the Gemara says, A child who knows the idea of shaking a lulav is already chayiv and lulav. What age is that? There's no given age. It depends upon the age of the child. The Gemara there says, Those people that uh, read the Gemara carefully, you'll see the phrase itself is different to the Gemara, but in the, in the case of lulav, it says, but here, katan hayodea lishmart filav aviv lakech lotfilin. Different phrase. Tosus and Erechin points it out and raises a a discussion about the point. According to the simple meaning of the Gemara, katan who knows what it means to be careful of his tefillin says, "Father should buy tefillin for him." The assumption that I would have made is that the child should put on tefillin when he is be careful, when he already knows how to be careful about his tefillin. Tefillin require a higher level of, a very high level of kavana. There's an Easter of Hesach Hadas. So therefore, you need a high level of kavana, and the cotton has to be Yodei Alishma Tefillin, then he can put on tefillin. However, the Itur says that this cotton is referring to a, a young man who reached the age of 13. But if that's true, then he's chayv in tefillin. What do you mean his father's chayv, whatever? Because we know that the age of 13 is actually not the real din of bar mitzvah. The din of bar mitzvah is when a child reaches a physical level of showing two simonim, two saros. Now, very often that's done before he's 13. And then day of 13, you say that he's actually bar mitzvah. If... The child does not have these simanim at the age of 13. He's not really chayiv in, in, in mitzvahs. So the Itur says, the Gemara is referring to a case where a cotton who reaches the age of 13, so then he can put on tefillin even though he's not really a gadol. If he would really be a gadol, then of course he's chayiv in tefillin. But the Itur says, but before he's by mitzvah, before he's 13, well, let's put it more correctly, before he's 13, he really shouldn't put on tefillin at all. And the Ramah quotes such an opinion. And the reason for it is because tefillin require a tremendous level of kavana, a tremendous uh, uh, where span of attention that it's also besachadas, and therefore it would be improper for a child, according to the eater, to put on tefillin before he's by mitzvah. And the uh, Rebbe said that we follow that custom. So we don't put on film. His minig is not to put on film before your bar mitzvah. But now the, sec- the second question will come up: What about putting on tefillin on cholamai? So here, the the Re- Rebbe first of all gave a different reason, another reason why we don't put on film before the bar mitzvah. He says because to create, to generate the excitement of putting on film the first time when you're really chayev is important. If you put on film a month before, so when you put on film actually when you're really mechuyev. Perhaps you don't feel the 
tremendous emotion involved in putting on tefillin. He gave that as another reason. What about putting on tefillin cholamoy? So when we study the tshuva here of the of the of the uh, Sanza Rebbe of Halberstam, we see that the custom of Sans is very unusual to a person who's used to Ashkenazi uh, makeup. Their custom was that below by, below a, a, a chasan, a person who's married, doesn't put on tefillin chalamoid. But before you're married, you put on tefillin chalamoid. To me, that is a, an interesting custom. So where do, you, where, where do you get that from? So first of all, you have to discuss two issues. One issue is a person who's married, why doesn't he put on tefillin? Rav Salvechik has a long discussion about why the briskers don't put on tefillin and chalamoy. Some people have quoted the world of briskers saying you don't put on tefillin and chalamoy because really there's a dinner putting on tefillin all the time. But we don't put on tefillin all the time. So actually, when we don't put on tefillin, we're mevatel the mitzvah. What's the difference if we're mevatel the whole day or not? If that would be true, there's no specific halacha to put on tefillin every day. So since there's a question about chalamoid, it doesn't hurt not to put on tefillin. Because basically, it's the same as any other day, just within a more expanded time period that not putting on tefillin. However, Rav Salvechik himself, in the Sefer, Shion the Sefer Abamari, said, we pask in this Kedusha Sayyam. And he discussed there the Easter Malacha of Cholamoid, is there Kedusha Sayyam? And if there's Kedusha Sayyam, then you don't put on film, And that seems to be the tradition of not putting on film in Cholamoid, because there's Kedusha Sayyam. Of course, the discussion is, the, is there an os on, on Yantif, if the, on Cholamoid? We say that on, on Shabbos and Yantif, which is a days of an os, you don't put on tefillin. Is Cholamoid also a day of an os? Well, if you would say there's an Isra Malacha, so, okay, you could say that's the Os. On Cholamoid, if there is no Isra Malacha, so still you're not allowed to eat chametz and sukkah, so you have to eat in a sukkah. So perhaps that itself would be an Os. It's true that um, the Os of, uh, of chametz is that you're not allowed to eat chametz. But you could still say that there's a Kiyum to eat, eat, eat matzah, there's an Os in, eat, in eating matzah. This is the discussion of the, of the Rebbe, saying that perhaps Cholamoid is an os. But if that's true because of matzah, etc., so why should there be a difference between single fellows and married people? So he said, perhaps the, chas, the, the person who's married, who is an older person, who has more yishuv hadas, so when he eats matzah on the Pesach, he eats l'shem mitzvah, L'shem Shemayim, and therefore it's considered an os. But the average person below that age, a person who has not reached the age of getting married, that's, I assume the Hasidim got married fairly young, but people between the age of 13 and let's say 17, 18. So he felt that they did not reach the age of maturity where they really understood that the reading Matzah L'shem Shemayim, therefore he felt that the minig of, of, of sons was that the for the for the people who are married, it's really an os. Cholamoid is an os. They eat they eat the shem shemayim. They're from mekayim mitzvahs, so therefore you don't put on tefillin. However, the bachurim, the fellows who are younger, that they, they put on, uh, they should put on tefillin because they don't have that level of maturity to understand that reading the shem shemayim. Wow.
That's, I think, an amazing statement. But then he goes on to say that the answer to that, therefore, to this young fellow who's a by mitzvah, the answer should be uh, that he would put on tefillin on chalamoid. But you see, if someone asks me that question, and then I tell him to put on tefillin, in, in essence, what am I telling him? I'm telling him I don't trust you to keep chalamoid the way you should. I don't think that when you eat matzah on chalamoid, you're going to think l'shem shemayim, l'shem mitzvah, etc. So the Rebbe is very, very politically correct here, and said, therefore, I'm going to tell you to put on tefillin chalamoid. Is it chas v'shalom? I am not choshed that your child won't eat, mitzvah, eat the matzah shei mitzvah. But however, there's a low plug. Since we've said in general that the boys below, the, who are not married, do not put on tefillin, therefore, I say that nobody should put on, should said all the single fellows should put on tefillin, and therefore he should put on tefillin the first day of Chalamoy. He added one more point, which is interesting. The Hasidic Minig, and I think this is an Ashkenazim Minig in many communities, not in among the German Jews, but among many communities. The custom is that uh, you wear your you wear a talis, uh, and even if you custom is to wear a talis, generally only married people put a talis over their head. But single fellows in most communities don't wear a talis. So he wanted to say, you know. If you don't have a talis, at least wear tefillin. The people who who wear a talis anyway, so they have some sign when they dive and they're wearing a talis. But since the bachrim don't wear a talis, then at least they should wear tefillin. The bottom line is that he said that before by mitzvah, the minig is not to put on tefillin, like the opinion of the etor. And after your by mitzvah, between the time of by mitzvah and being married, you wear tefillin, you put on tefillin, even on chalamoy. When we speak of tefillin, of course, the next issue would be, what about putting on tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam? Now, we should remember that the Shulchan Aruch says that a person who's Yerei Shemayim should put on tefillin Rabbeinu Tam. And here also, the Rabbi Halberstam, writing this tshuva already in 1969, from Kiryat Sanz, writes that our minig, the minig of the Sanze Hasidim, is to put on film Rabbeinu Tam only after the Chasana. But after the Chasana, everybody wears Rabbeinu Tam to Rabbeinu Tam. Before the Chasana, single fellows don't wear film Rabbeinu Tam. And now again the question is, why not? Why should single fellows not put on Rabbeinu Tam? Since they feel that we really should be machmir to put on film like Rabbeinu Tam. So, why shouldn't a, a Bacha put on film Rabbeinu Tam? My father once said to me that he was thinking about putting on film of Rabbeinu Tam because, after all, what are you going to do if La'acha Mea Vesem Shana HaKadosh Baruch says to you, by the way, you never put on film in your life. So my father said, but, you know, at the end I thought if it wouldn't be so bad if I could sit next to Rashi. I put in Rashi's film. let me sit next to Rashi. I don't know, maybe Rashi also put in Rabbeinu Tam's film. B'chol Mikreb, Mang Chasidim, it was very, very important that everybody put in film Rabbeinu Tam. So why should a single fellow not put in Rabbeinu Tam's film? So the Rebbe explained that, you see, again, we pointed out that people before they're married don't wear a talus. 
Now, there is a mention the Shulchan Aruch, and it's a whole discussion, Allah. If you can put in Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin, because it looks like you are a. If a person is well known as being a tzaddik, mafursam b'chasidus, so then he can put on tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam. But if not, then it looks like you are a. Now, if you really hold that you wear a talis, so when you put your talis over your head, you don't so much see that you put in tefillin Rabbeinu Tam. Especially, I, I assume that's not the custom of sons. But some of the people who put in Rabbeinu Tam, especially Eidot Mizrach, put in Tfilin Rabbeinu Tam together with Tfilin Rashi at the same time. They wear Tfilin Rabbeinu Tam and Tfilin Rashi. Now, you might argue that's Mechzekiyuera, looks, but if you wear your talis over your head in such a way that you hardly notice it, so then I don't know if it's, that's considered Mechzekiyuera. So the, the Rebbe pointed out that if a chassan, if once you're married and you wear a talis, so maybe it's not mechzikiyuera anymore. You don't see it so much. But for a bachar, it would be a, it was not wearing a talis, it would be a, a, a real statement of you are right to put on the film. I noticed one time a, when I was uh, in a shul in England, a certain gentleman from Israel came and he put on the film Rabbi Tam. But he put on both pairs of film at the same time, and he davened the entire davening. A few days he davened in the, in the shul. So when I was there, I pointed out to some of the balabatim in the shul, did you notice that he wore two pairs of film at the same time? Something that they probably had never seen before. And it was interesting to me that no one had noticed. The way he davened, keeping his talus over his head, etc., nobody had noticed that he put on two pairs of film at the same time. So, in that case, you certainly wouldn't even imagine that's Mechzikyuera. So, it really could be. The argument of the cousin of a Rebbe is when you wear tefillin, when you wear a talis, people don't notice as much. It's not such a problem of putting on tefillin Rebbe Nutam. Some of the issues I said that uh, the Klausenberger, the Sanzer Rebbe decided, were not just about uh, Klausenberger Hasidim or Sanzer Hasidim. I don't know why I keep mixing up Klausenberger and, and Sanz. But in the tshuvas are written in in Eretz Yisrael at the modern time. One of the questions that was that he discussed in uh, in the first volume in Simon Peites was uh, written shortly, well a year after, but shortly after the Six Day War in nineteen. 19- 69, uh, in Elul of 69. And the tshuva was written while the Rebbe was in Miron. And the question was, discussing a bracha that you make when Avodah is removed from our land. But the Gemara says, when you have the power of taking out Avodah from Eretz Yisrael, you make a bracha. Now, in this tshuva, he discusses the idea of making a bracha in Eretz Yisrael, but what does it mean exactly when you remove Avodah Zarah? How does this relate to Islam? Now, it's fairly well known in the yeshiva world that the Rambam said that Islam is different than Christianity. Because since Christianity believes in the triumvirate, therefore they do not believe in monotheism, and therefore Christianity is, or Catholicism to be more precise, is Avodah Zarah. 
But it seems that since Islam believes in the concept of one God, they are a monotheistic religion, and therefore it's not considered of other Zara. The, close, the sons of Rebbe discussed the case where there was a fire in the mosque on Harabayas. Now, obviously that had great political ramifications. It was a very difficult situation in Eretz Yisrael at the time. But he discussed the issue, should you make the bracha on the fact that part of the mosque was destroyed? The question would be a double question. One, is Yishma'ilim, is Islam considered Avrazara? And also, if the um, a partial destruction of, of a, a real Avodah would be considered as Avodah The interesting point that I'd like to raise is that the Sanzer Rebbe thought this was a very important question because he thinks that many people have mistakenly understood that a mask is not Avodah And he said, I have written the tshuva to explain that this is not so. And now I'd like to quote in Hebrew, but I'll translate it. But he said, he says, when I heard about that people say that you can go into Maras Machpelah and pray in the mosque, and I saw it was actually printed that Jews and the Islam actually pray in the mosque. And he said, that's a disgrace, and therefore I will not stay silent. Now, we have already seen that the Tzitz Eliezer had raised the issue of davening in a mosque. Whatever the arrangements today that are made in Maras HaMachpelah are a question exactly what the arrangements that were made. The theoretical question is if it's really, if you're enter, in, entering a mosque and praying in the mosque, if that's true. And uh, the, the Rebbe here is really adamant to explain that Islam is Avodah Zarah, even though it's different, and that's what he claims the Rishonim meant to say, that the Rishonim, that it is different than Christianity, Catholicism, nevertheless, he feels any service that's not according to Jewish Avodah, according to Jewish Tefillah, to whatever they consider their God, is considered Avodah Zarah, and therefore he says that you're not allowed to walk into a mosque, seems you should not pray in Marasamach Beila, at least in the place that's considered a, a, a mosque. And he also says you should make a bracha when you see at least e- even part of it destroyed. I, as I mentioned before, of course, the grave political ramifications and halachic implications of, of this statement, and this is a, an opinion that I don't think has been accepted mainstream in the uh, Jewish halachic community. 
the last question that I'd like to discuss today is where the Rebbe enters the world of modern Israel in discussing Neshek on Shabbos. He discusses the issue of carrying weapons on Shabbos. Now, of course, uh, soldiers who go to war and are involved in any issue of Pikrach Nefesh, uh, there's nothing to talk about. There's no problem at all. But the problem would be when the uh, law or the requirements of the community are to carry Neshek, and the idea is that uh, you want to make sure you're not fighting a war, you're not in a war, but just pay, having people carry Neshek serves, serves as a deterrent that people will not come in Chas v'shalom, to attack. So, the, two, the issue, of course, is the divided into two. One, if it's muksa, if a gun is muksa, and the second is, even, the, even if it's not muksa, can you carry it in a place where there's no Eruf? Because of, obviously, the Yisra Hotzah. Now, at first, by the way, this discussion is found in many, many modern svarim, in, uh, in Yeshiva and Gushatzion. We've written about this, and it has been written in Alon Shvot. I think uh, Rav Ezra Bick wrote about it once. Rav uh, Halberstam begins by saying it looks like a Kli Shemlech to Le'iser. A Kli, which is, the, the function of the Kli is to use it for something that's Oser, is a Kli Shemlech to Le'iser, but a Kli Shemlech to Le'iser can be used, either L'Tzorach, can be moved, either L'Tzorach Gufa or L'Tzorach Mekamal, if you need it, for whatever purpose. So you're allowed to move it. So when there is a law requiring you to carry it, you, and you'll be punished, he said, that's L'Tzarech Gufo. That for sure that would be permitted. Um, and then he discusses other reasons why it's permitted. But at the end, he raises an issue that I, I said it, it's been much discussed in our generation. Perhaps it's not really a Klishim Lachtul Eastern. The person who carries the gun is not carrying it in order to shoot it. In fact, many times you're told not to shoot. The uh, the uh, official orders are to carry your gun, but not to shoot without permission. And it, it, if you do shoot, they're going to actually bring you to court. Sometimes I, I claim that's like a little bit of smicha. What is smicha? Yare, yare. And then there's another addition, yadin, yadin. Yore Yore in Hebrew means to paskin. But in modern Hebrew, the word Yore also means to shoot a gun. So I said, Yore Yore, if you shoot, then Yadin Yadin, you're going to go to court afterwards. So here, if you're not allowed to shoot, so Rav Halberstam, the, the Sanzer, says that maybe it's a Klishim Lachtol Hater. You're carrying it not to, not to shoot, or at least it's a Klishim Lachtol and and therefore he says it's another reason to be matir about carrying it outside an Eruf so he discusses the distinction between a military person and a person who's not considered part of the military a person who's con- part of the military might be considered this is part this for him is a takshit it's part of his whole mian he walks around carrying a gun a person who's not part of the military, so maybe then it would be a problem for him. But 
you could argue that today everybody's considered part of the military. People do miluim until who knows when in Israel. And we're all in some sort of mishmar azrachi. So it could, there could be a real reason to be mekel, carrying it ev- even outside Rishos HaRabim, because it be considered a tachshit. He also argue, he, uh, he also adds a few more reasons to be matir. One, the famous opinion of the Marik, that if you're doing something because you're forced to do it, that's always going to be considered a cliche that's going to that's considered a melacha shenitzvich legufa. I don't want to do it. I'm only doing it because somebody else wanted to do it. Now there is a big discussion whether this opinion of the Marik can be relied upon. Nevertheless, as another sniff, he said perhaps we can be mekil. And of course, the last one, the last reason mekil, he says, look, we know that there is a, in we paskin generally. There's no rishus harabim today. The people who rely on eruv in general think the reason we rely on eruv is because there's no rishus harabim. If there's no rishus harabim, it's only strabanan. So we could find another kula b'shas to be to be mekel. However, he did point out that some rabbanim did say it's aser to carry outside the eruv. It seems that the uh, sounds of Rebbe wants to say that it's mutter. It's not considered a klishim lachto leiser. And certainly, even if it would be, Letzorach Gufa would be mutter, and to carry it would be mutter even in, uh, without an Eruf, as long as you're considered a person who's Me'anche'a Milchama.